0: From VT Digger, this is The Deeper Dig.
1: It's so much money. It's so many numbers. Um, but it is so important, right? It, it just dominates anxiety for people. It dominates anxiety for businesses, uh, school districts, municipalities. Like this enormous increase in what they're going to have to pay for next year.
0: I'm Sam Gail Rosen. In this episode, increasing insurance premiums for some plans and what they reveal about the larger shape of Vermont's healthcare market. Earlier this month, the Green Mountain Care Board made a decision that would affect most people and companies that get their healthcare through the state's health insurance marketplace. The board said that two companies that offer insurance through Vermont Health Connect will be able to increase premiums by double digits in 2024. These increases will be less than insurers had asked for. Despite that, they'll be among the highest annually since 2014, the first full year of the Marketplace's operation. Here's Charles Becker, a lawyer with the Office of the Healthcare Advocate, speaking at a Green Mountain Care Board meeting. We had double-digit rate increases last year, and from the looks of it, we're going to have double-digit rate increases again this year. For insurance, for hospitals, for pharmaceuticals, clearly there's a nexus between these three things. To Vermont consumers, the dynamics of the system seem like a wildfire burning out of control. To find out about these increases, what they mean, and where they fit into the wider conversation about health insurance and healthcare, I spoke to my colleague Kristen Fountain, healthcare reporter for VT Digger. Kristen has been following the ins and outs of this story, which, fair warning, is a little complicated and involves a lot of numbers. She wanted to start by talking about the broader landscape of health insurance and how the particular rate increases we're talking about fit into the big picture.
1: I did want to talk a little bit just about the shape of the insurance market, because I think not everyone understands it. It's, and it's it's really complicated um, in this country. But um, and, it, and, it, and these percentages sort of differ from state to state, but in Vermont, like around half right now of the population is insured by the public in some way, right? They either are insured through Medicare, which is a federal program. That's about a quarter of everyone. And that, or they're insured through Medicaid. It's state and federally funded together and it's administered at the state level. So it's really that other 50% in the private market or 47% if you don't count the 3% that are uninsured um, that we're talking about. And, and of that group, um, two-thirds of that group gets their insurance through their employer that self-insures, right? So what that means is the in, the company is large enough to fund the claims themselves. Like they set aside a chunk of money that usually they have a commercial insurer um, manage the claims, manage the payments. Um, that's administrative services is what they call that. And there's a fee for that. But the claims are being paid by the employer. So they are self-insured. You know, the state of Vermont is self-insured for its employees, along with um, like teachers, uh, self-insured Um very large companies. It's interesting because this is the process on which the public has the greatest amount of insight, really. Like, it's a very public and clear process through the Green Mountain Care Board, but it actually impacts uh, fewer Vermonters than you might think. It Basically, the rates that were announced affect the um, Vermont Health Connect Marketplace, which is follows the federal Affordable Care Act rules. Um, and there are two different, well, there's actually three different types of plans you can buy on the marketplace, but only two are covered in this ruling. So if you do not have an employer that offers health insurance or you don't have an employer, say you're self-employed or you're doing the many kinds of work that we do that is not um, paid like a job, Um, then you could buy individual health insurance through the exchange. Um, And then employers with fewer than a hundred employees Buy, can buy their health insurance through the small group market on the exchange. And that is what is affected by these rate increases the individual market and the small group market. There's only two companies that sell plans on this marketplace uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Vermont, and MVP. So the individual. And small group market on Vermont Health Connect. The rates are set annually at this t- same time every year. So it's an annual process. And then the large group market, ha- you know, there are actually three companies that sell to that um, MVP, uh, Blue Cross, Blue Shield of Vermont, and Cigna. And each one of those files at different times for that. So, th- and those changes tend to be less dramatic, um, for whatever, uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, but anyway, it's only about 11% of Vermonters, they think it potentially could get a little bit bigger as folks, um, find, try to find alternatives to Medicaid as, as they're found to be ineligible. But, um, I think the maximum I've seen in recent years is 14% of Vermonters. Right now, they say it's around 68,000 people are affected, and it may go up to like 71,000 they're projecting, with a few more thousand people joining from Medicaid.
0: So to recap, we're talking rate decisions that affect about 11% of Vermonters. We're not talking about Medicare or Medicaid. We're also not talking about big employers that self-insure. We're only talking about plans from the Health Connect marketplace, and even among those plans, we're talking about a segment of them that are easiest to follow and report on because their rates are subject to a public regular process. But they're subject to many of the same cost drivers as other negotiations that might be happening behind the scenes or at different times, so they can be indicators of the wider market. So for these particular plans, how does the process work? The company's They come up with a number, they come up with an increase, and they make an ask, and then the Green Mountain Care Board gets to decide what they'll actually get. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's actually a a very formal process. Um, It is sort of quasi-judicial, so it's almost like they uh, go through a court and um, different people give testimony, and so there's a lot of paperwork that's filed Prior to a hearing that occurs um, and present at the hearing are um, kind of treated as like opposing attorneys would be the uh, attorneys and representatives of the health insurer and then the healthcare uh, advocate, which is uh, an office staffed by Vermont Legal Aid. And so they have their own attorneys that come and sort of argue on, on behalf of the rate payer, that would be the customer, the, the one paying the bill.
0: Here's Owen Foster, chair of the Green Mountain Care Board. I think the biggest thing that we need to think about is what's driving the rates higher. Is it insurer greed? Is it executive salaries? Is it excessive increases on the rate? And if it's not those things, then what is driving the rate? Is it primarily the inputs? Is it the costs of the claims that they're supporting um, and paying for with this money? And if they are paying that, then you actually have to look more at what those costs are and how those costs can be contained before they feed into the rates. And so before going any further, what what are some of these rate increases that we're talking about?
1: It's 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 interesting to try to explain it because um, as folks will know, if they go on to the exchange, each insurer has like a dozen plus different plans with different permutations and different kinds of cost sharing through deductibles and co payments and um, different metal levels, gold, silver, bronze, platinum. Um, so the insurer actually files a very long document that gives the exact increases for each one of those plans, but it's pretty hard to talk about that in a news article. And it's also pretty hard to talk about that in a hearing. So they talk about the range of increases and they talk about an average increase. And, um, this year, uh, and uh, there've been some pretty large increases in that, um, What's been approved for Blue Cross Blue Shield is an average of 14% increase in the individual market and a 13% increase in the small group market. And for MVP, 11% in the individual market and 12% in the small group market. And um, so double digit increases
0: for both. And that sounds big. How how does that compared to the kind of increases we usually see?
1: Well, um, so obviously a lot of things changed through the pandemic. Um, last year, there were big increases, so folks will remember last year's large increase. and and this year's increase is sort of of the same scale. Um, it's a little bit smaller than the increase awarded last year to MVP for its plans. And it's a little bit bigger increase for what was awarded to Blue Cross Blue Shield. So, um, but then the previous year, um, and the year before that was a little bit different, um, and a little less easy to talk about, but, um, Let's say it's safe to say, though, if you look at historically, I mean, the cost has gone up uh, significantly over time. Um, But you it's it's you have to really look at the same plan over time, which is also difficult because within each plan, the benefits have changed over time. So it's to get an apples to apples comparison is challenging, but we, I looked at like the silver plan for both, um, companies and, you know, you have seen in both companies, you could buy a silver plan in 2014 for a little over $400 a month for an individual. And this year, um, depending on whether you're buying as an individual or, a as part of a small group through your small group employer, the the individual rates for small group was like a little under seven hundred dollars a month and for individuals a little under like eight fifty ish a month. Um so you know it's gone up a lot. It's doubled. Close yeah, to.
0: and I, I assume if you compare it to like average wage increases or something like that, they haven't matched at all. I would assume.
1: Um, yes, I. That is true. I mean, they've gone up more than they have previously, but uh, just in recent years. But certainly, they haven't doubled.
0: And I've been following this through your reporting, obviously. But one of the interesting things here is this. You know, first reaction, this sounds like a lot, but it's also considerably less than the insurance companies were asking for. Is that right?
1: That's right. Um, the <laughs> Green Mountain Care Board, <clears throat> with the assistance of an actuarial company that that they hire as a third-party reviewer of the health insurers package... Um, found that there were several places that they felt like the insurer did not need uh, the increase they were seeking. Um, So they reduced by, I would say around four percentage points for each. So like initially Blue Cross Blue Shield was, I think, asking for 17 and 18% increases. And instead they got 13 and 14%, something like that.
0: Blue Cross Blue Shield had initially asked for an average rate increase of 18.1% for plans sold on the marketplace to individuals and families, and 17.6% for plans sold to small groups. The board's decision was that individual plan premiums will be allowed to increase by 14% and the small group plans by 13.3%. And you said there were a couple places where they sort of decided that that scale of increase wasn't needed. Can you talk through what you know of their reasoning?
1: Yes. Well, um, to get into that, we have to talk a bit about what drives healthcare uh, insurance cost increases. But the major driver, so for, for both of our insurers on the exchange, they're both nonprofit plans. They're both regional small plans, MVP is based in New York, and most of their business is in New York, but they're not like a huge, huge company. Um, Anyway, 90% roughly of all the premium dollars collected is going out the door to pay claims. So it's really the projected cost of the claims that is driving most of the increase and within that the biggest two drivers are the charges being levied by hospitals both for inpatient and outpatient care and pharmaceutical costs
0: let's get into the hospital question a little bit because that's sort of the next step here right is that the board is now going to consider budget requests from many of the state hospitals is that right
1: Yes, that's right. And in their insurance decision, they more or less made a promise in a sense to the insurers or project they basically told the insurers, you know, you've said you need this much in it of a rate increase to match what the hospitals have asked to increase their commercial rates that they charge you. And they said, we're going to cut that back by several percentage points because we believe we're going to be cutting what they are allowed to ask you to pay by up to 50%. So that's a big uh, shave in the aggregate.
0: (laughs) And that, just to clarify, they're cutting 50% off of what hospitals are asking for. Is that right?
1: Well, it's or, a 50%- 50... Or what they've
0: paid previously.
1: Uh, yeah. So it's it's all about the rate of increase. So it's okay. not about the rate of, it's not about the total at all. It's about the rate of increase. How much more are they going to ask next year over this year. That's what everyone's talking about.
0: So a 50% smaller increase this year than there would be.
1: That is what um, the Green Mountain Care Board told the insurers in their rate decisions. Um, Prior to the hospitals submitting their proposed budgets for 2024 to the Green Mountain Care Board, The Green Mountain Care Board had told the insurers in their sort of guidance documents that, you know, they could use a historic average of their adjustment of what um, hospitals were being allowed to charge um, for for their services. And that historical adjustment, they said, the Green Mountain Care Board said was 17%. So this is a, a significantly larger cut that they have basically said they will do. And my understanding from talking to insurers is that that the the cuts in that regard that were made, they are fine with as long as the board actually follows through with the cuts that it promised, right?
0: And then why are they now anticipating larger cuts to the increases for hospital budgets than they were before?
1: Yeah, that's a a really good question. And um, it varies quite a bit by hospital. And to be honest, I'm not sure I can answer that right now, (laughs) because the hearings are going on as uh, they they. They are happening on a regular basis every day or two. Uh, each hospital comes and presents and is is asked questions about their proposed 2024 budget. Um, all I can say is that some of the hospitals are asking for budgets that would require increases in their rates of,
0: you know, 10%, 11%, 13%. I mean, if you know, how are hospitals reacting to the board's promise or suggestion that they're going to be looking at 50% cuts to what they're asking for?
1: I don't think that was a welcome uh, piece of news, for sure. Um, I think it's a little bit difficult because there are many of our 14 hospitals that are asking for increases in what they charge that actually are below the rate of inflation. You know, they are, are low. And then there are others that are looking for rate increases that are extremely high. So I would be surprised if the care board requests reductions in the ask of those low hospitals, right? I think what we're looking at is potentially decisions that would lower those larger increases.
0: Is the argument that hospitals are making that the quality of care is going to be reduced if they aren't allowed to increase the budgets to the extent that they're asking for?
1: I mean, nobody knows how the 50% reduction in aggregate would be spread out, right? So... All of the hospitals are concerned, but and and say that should they not receive the increase that services that they offer would have to be cut back. So and quality of care would be at risk. Um, I mean, they would have to do more with less.
0: And to move back to the impact on people who participate in these plans with the premium rate increases. I mean, obviously, it's a financial hardship to have to pay more money. What what other kind of arguments were being made uh, from people representing the ratepayer? I mean, were there also concerns about people just not ending up ha- paying for and then having health insurance?
1: Yeah, I, there was definitely a lot of concern about that. Um, in a historic context, Vermont, has an incredibly low rate of uninsured people right now. Um, It seems like it will increase as people are not renewed in Medicaid. Often that leads to a period of being uninsured, but um, currently just around 3% of the population doesn't have insurance. But there's an estimate that more than 40% of Vermonters are underinsured. That means um, their co-pays and deductibles are such that um, they cannot afford those, right? And they choose not to go see their doctor, go to the hospital, go get a procedure or a test they might need because of those costs. And that's basically because as premiums increase and you you know, have to pay more for the same thing, you look at, well, what can I get for what I can actually afford? And that is usually a lower cost plan with a higher deductible and higher copays. Um, and you see individuals making those choices in, in real time, um, year after year, and you see businesses making those choices for what they can afford. To support for their not just businesses but all sorts of organizations.
0: Here's Mike Fisher, chief healthcare advocate for Vermont Legal Aid, speaking at a Green Mountain Care Board meeting.
1: There's a lot of research that's been done out there, and there's a lot of, um, and there's a lot of data about the pressures that Vermonters and Americans are facing around um, being forced to make, you know, what happens to people when they're forced to make economic decisions that interfere
0: with their ability to follow medical advice.
1: It's interesting. Historically, the Green Mountain Care Board has told hospitals since they started doing this, you know, we approve this budget. We approve this rate. Um, It's it's really hard to talk about this because there's so many different rates, right? But we approve this increase to the charges that you would like insurers to pay. And at least for the current board they see that approval as as a cap like this is a, this is the maximum you are allowed to charge insurers but insurers and the hospitals can negotiate lower rates right they want that to happen but i guess historically that hasn't been the case that hospitals and told insurers that these are the approved increases and that's what they're going to be paid is is what the insurers tell the board
0: <laughs> the, I, this is <laughs> no this is all super helpful Kristen I appreciate you sort of walking through it because it's so you know it's it's it can be weedy and hard to get a handle on
1: it's so much money it's so many numbers um, but it is so important right it it just dominates anxiety for people. It dominates anxiety for businesses, uh, school districts, municipalities, like this enormous increase in what they're going to have to pay for next year.
0: Here's Manny Mansbach, a mental health professional and meditation teacher speaking at a rate review public comment period.
1: I have to say that I find these hearings to be somewhat of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. The
0: fact is that healthcare for most people, in, most working people in Vermont, is getting more inaccessible, more unaffordable. Um, that, as others have
1: mm-hmm. said, that the wages and salaries are not keeping up with healthcare uh, in- increase rates. It's kind of a, it's kind of an ongoing violence to most people, uh, most working people, that is considered
0: polite and acceptable, but is really a, a, a violent system. That that uh, excludes so many people, and 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 is getting worse,
1: not better. The Green Mountain Care Board has this really amazing graphic that I'm looking at right now that they pulled from another source.
0: The chart Kristen is referring to has data from the Federal Bureau of Labor Statistics and was originally created by economist Mark Perry for a blog at the American Enterprise Institute, a conservative think tank. You can find a link on our website.
1: It's really helpful to look at. And and pharmaceuticals are not on this list, but it shows, you know, average hourly wages have gone up since 2000, the year 2000, by 104%. So a, a little over doubled over the last 23 years. Um, the overall inflation has gone up around 75%. Um, medical services in general and have gone up 130%. Hospital-based services have gone up 230%. So it just shows just the rate of increase in the cost of hospital-based care has just been much, much faster than other kinds of services.
0: And I'm sure there are a million answers to this, but what are some of the big reasons why?
1: Well, that is a question that many academics are spending a lot of time trying to answer. And I think if we can answer that, we could uh, go a long way towards uh, making healthcare more affordable for everyone. But I mean, I will say one thing that within that hospital services charge, I believe you will find some pharmaceutical costs hidden in there right? Because often hospitals will buy pharmaceuticals and you, well, they just do use pharmaceuticals in the hospital and that is bundled into those hospital increases. So the high cost of drugs, um, in this country plays a, plays a huge role. And, um, on top of whatever theory you have about, um, the political process and the role of lobbying and, and money, um, one thing I think is clear that the U.S. consumer is paying the lion's share of the world's research and development budget for new pharmaceuticals. Um, and that and is, is that, one big reason.
0: <laughs> and that that's because in other countries that have different healthcare systems, there's more government control over drug prices. Is that right? Or
1: yes, in in most other countries, the the, the government negotiates prices with the pharmaceutical companies, and you know has a lot more leverage than individual insurers might or. Self-insured plans. Yeah, I would say that's probably a really big reason. Um, I'm sure there's other reasons, too, but I do think it's baked into the process that the pharmaceutical companies are assuming they're going to be able to charge these very large prices to U.S. consumers. And and then because of that, they can offer more discounted prices to other countries in a way, I mean, you know, there's feedback loops there, but I think, I mean, I think obviously hospitals will point to that as a big driver because that is not in their control. Uh, but then there are a lot of other costs that are within the hospital's control as well. I do I do wanna say that all this talk of pricing within all that it and costs it's really also important to underscore that within our healthcare system, there are many thousands of providers that care very deeply about people's health and work very hard to try to improve it. So it's, it's just important to remember that too.
0: You can find Kristen's reporting and more episodes of the podcast at vtdigger.org. This episode of The Deeper Dig was produced by me, with help from Kristen Fountain and senior editor Natalie Williams. I'm Sam Gilrosen. Thanks for listening.